0: Welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. Actually, EFB means Easton Fury Belmar. We have John Easton. Hi there. We have Adam Belmar. I'm John Fury. And we've got Clark Kent, the newest addition to the Fury family and the newest addition to EFB. He's here for the day. Take your Clark Kent to work day. Uh, And um, Clark Kent is a... uh, rescue dog he's around 10 years old he doesn't have any teeth our next door neighbor wendy Grubbs gave him to us so we can keep an eye on him and he's a great little dog and this is a shameless pitch for vir- a viral sharing and if you are watching the efb uh fear theory podcast brought to you by efb and you like it please share it with your friends Uh, because we really enjoy doing this. And if you want to be on the show, let us know, and we will put you on the show because we have that much exclusivity.
1: Yeah, John, we've been at this for a year now almost, and it's been quite successful. But sometimes folks will watch it, but what we really want is to give it a like, give it a share, and you know what? If you like Clark Kent, (laughs) let us know. Maybe Clark can stick with us for our podcast.
0: That would be awesome. John, what do you think about Clark Kent and our podcast? I welcome all newcomers to the podcast. (laughs) There was Christian
1: Porter, and now there's Clark Kent Cuddles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will say that Clark Kent's probably not going to say much, but he might bark at a few things he agrees with on, right? Or disagrees with. Or disagrees with. Which we welcome as well. Talk about agreeing and disagreeing. Theory one, viva le Trump. Washington was overwhelmed by the love that President Trump and President Macron of France had for one another. It was a bromance... Of all bromances, they were cu- touching, cuddling, feeling one another in such a way that uh, it made me a little bit uncomfortable. Kind of like this. Kind like of <laughs> like this. Is um, making
1: you feel uncomfortable, uh, Mr.
2: Easton. No, I'm just, I was using a good analogy. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> Let me say this. Uh, I thought the President Macron's address to Congress was very well received. I thought the, the state dinner uh, that really organized by Melania Trump was a huge hit, the first state dinner that the president had for any president. Uh, John Easton, uh, looking and thinking about this, does this uh, mean something good for France and the United States? Is this a turning point in that relationship? Uh, or is this just kind of uh, transactional? This, this is one week in a, in a whole life of the presidency.
2: It's a good question. I, I think it's Good for the United States and good for France just in general. And forget about the, the major players in this, in this play, which are the president and uh, the, both presidents. But I think that these visits from our very, very important allies are really key. Uh, and I think that we need to do them often, and, it, and in part because it's a reminder of how important they are to us. It is a reminder that no matter, you know, we're going to all friends have ups and downs, we do with France, we do with the UK, we do with with Canada, but these are our most important allies. And I think what uh, President Macron did really, really well was I mean, you know, he he just displayed a, uh, a a savvy with our president and then he displayed a savvy with our Congress when he went and he addressed uh, with the joint session, and he was able to talk about his priorities, which is fine. That's what he's here to do. But he played the White House, you know, the trip, the state dinner, the trip to Mount Vernon. Played that extremely well. I was, I was very impressed, and I thought, you know, President Trump did as well. I don't know about all this bromance, this holding hands, and all this was 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 fun fodder. But in, it's nice to see when, when two people, two leaders, world leaders, get along well.
0: Adam Elmar, you've been involved in these state visits <coughs> before. You're working at the White House. Uh, you, what did you think of the staging of, of it all? So, uh, you know,
1: when I worked at the White House as Deputy Communications Director, the, the image of the president, what we see through the lens, was my charge. And I came to find out that the playbook for a state arrival ceremony and a state dinner are fairly – Tried and true. They're very complex. They have a good number of historical elements. There's a review of the troops. There's the fife and drum corps on the South Lawn. I thought they executed it particularly well. Um, And I think I agree with John Easton that it was a great image Mm -hmm. and uh, really put a little bit of luster on the president as a foreign leader. Now, the, the excessive touching. And the awkwardness, not unlike what I am doing right now with Barton, <laughs> um, was very weird and to some people off-putting. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know what else to say about that except to say that the president can be quite awkward in some occasions. And he was with the president of France. But uh, I particularly enjoyed uh, the forthrightness and the articulate English Uh, that the French president used when he spoke to the Joint Session of Congress, John Fury. And uh, I also was very proud of our First Lady. I thought she acquitted herself very well this week.
0: Uh, Just, you know, thinking about France, and I'm a Francophile. I love French wine. I love French cheese. I love France. I love Paris. Um, And I'm much more of a Francophile than a a, uh, a lover of Great Britain, for example. Uh, We've, as a relationship with the French, though, it's been very tempestuous. Mm -hmm. They're our oldest ally, but sometimes we're with them, and sometimes we are kind of with them. They were the first members of NATO, one of the first members of NATO, but then they dropped out of NATO uh, because of De Gaulle. Um, And France has always been struggling to have relevance, although it's a very important country in Europe and I think culturally very, very important. Um, France joined us in the attack on Syria, Mm -hmm. which was a a big deal, I thought. Macron was trying to show that France is here and, and with us. Um, John Easton uh, there were other things that the that Macron was trying to get out of this uh, the uh, climate deal and the Iran deal that that was kind of his bottom line right yeah and so you know thinking about that how did Macron handle the the romance bromance slash bigger policy
2: goals do you think that he achieved his goals for this, with his visit he it's demonstrated that he's a very smart guy because I think he has studied Trump. Uh, there's basically you study him through the 2016 campaign and really last year, and that's really what you have to study. Yes, you can study his real estate magnet times, but I think that um, he studied him and, and, and knew that the best way to try to advance some of his policy goals was to have a bromance with this guy. He is su- President Trump is so subject to flattery the French know how to flatter, and they've got style, and Melania Trump is a, you know, a symbol of style. So I think there were a lot of ways in which President Macron could you know, make some inroads there. But when it came right down to his policy objectives, those were clearly stated in, in his joint session of Congress, his speech, and I thought he, he dual-tracked it. And he dual-tracked it really well.
0: So, Adam, thinking about this uh, Macron vis-à-vis uh, Angela, Angela Merkel and Theresa May.
1: What a contrast, right? I
0: mean, but think about this. You know, really, out of the Europeans, Macron is the only guy that Trump can hang out with. And he's very uncomfortable with mm. either May or Merkel, which I think there's some, some of a sexist thing there.
1: They, well, I don't know if it's sexist, but I think the president clearly uh, has an easier time – in his interpersonal relationships with men, um, he's been very positive in his own organization and promoting women. I don't doubt that, uh, but he is prone to locker room talk and other things, and he just seemed to get along very well where he certainly didn't with the two world leaders that you just mentioned.
2: And I'm going to um, throw a, sh- a I'm going to throw a shout out. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> For two things, and they're more of the of style of, of this visit, and one was the hat. The hat. Melania Trump's white brim was gorgeous, and she wore it well. She, As, she did wear it <laughs> well. Yep, she wore it well. And, I, and from everything you read from the, from the inside of the, the planning of the, of the state dinner, et cetera, was, was she was in control of everything. And so kudos to her for pulling off a, a near-perfect dinner. But the other thing was related to the, to the state dinner at the White House was the wine selection. They chose a Oregon Pinot Noir. <laughs> How did I know that was coming? <laughs> no, it was very serious. An Oregon Pinot Noir Domaine Drune from the Lorraine Vineyard and a Domaine Druin Chardonnay. Those were two of the three wines that were served. Now, the uh, motto of do- Domaine Druin in the Lamp Valley is uh, French sole and Oregon soil. Oh. And I think these vines were, I think, imported from from France, planted in, in Oregon, so they do indeed have a French sole. And it is you've got to try this wine, Domaine Druin Pinot Noir. Go for it. So we're going to wrap it up there, but I do th- agree with you that
0: um – If you can get French wine made in America, that's like the best case scenario. Theory two, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's what Kanye West raps. Hashtag MAGA, M-A-G-A. The controversial artist who once bluntly declared that George W. Bush hates black people has declared himself an admirer of President Trump. Is this a p- turning point in the Trump presidency or is this is this a turning point in Kanye West's career? And I by Trump presidency up or Kanye West's career down. What do you think? Uh, are you a Kanye West fan?
1: No. Oh, all right. um, I'm a Clark Kent fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Clark and I have discussed this before the show. We have listened to some of Kanye's music, but we don't necessarily consider ourselves fans and I don't think this is uh, evocative of any turning point in anything at all. Uh, Hopefully uh, it is just one more weird thing that happened this week. Um, You know, I I think Kanye should say what he feels, as as most people should. And um, sometimes I think people are just very contrarian in order to get the public
0: riled up and get themselves in the news, and I'm chalking this whole thing up to that. John Easton, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the genre of, of rap music, which is very controversial. I, I like some rap. Uh, I like all kinds of music. Um, but you know, I think it is evocative of a, a scene out there in, in the country where people, they, they use kind of language that is inappropriate from, for our kids. But it's evocative of, of, of a, of a street scene. Um, I think Kanye West is brilliant, kind of like Eminem. Uh, but also, you know, he's controversial. The thing I most admire about Kanye West is that he speaks his mind. Um, now, I don't always agree with him, but he always speaks his mind. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Is, is this a big deal or is this something that's
2: just made up and blown out of proportion? Well, what's, what's the bigger deal? The, what Kanye West has said or is saying, particularly through uh, tweeting, or the reaction?
0: Yeah, that's kind of my point. The
2: reaction is the shock, the horror. And 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 really what we're coming into is this um, chapter of really sheer moral judgment on who you support or who you don't support politically. And instead of saying as a reaction to this, uh, particularly among the celebrity circles, is uh, what do you think about what Kanye said? Instead of saying, you know, this is politics and I, I've got I, I don't agree with this politics, but that's politics. And he has his right to believe what he believes. Instead, it's a complete condemnation. And they, they'll go as far as saying, and I read one the other day who said, um, I really don't, I, lo- I love Kanye, I really don't believe he believes what he's saying. So it's, it's that as well. It's right. he must not believe what he is saying. And I just think this is so utterly destructive uh, from either side of the aisle to be making these kind of judgments on people uh, for what people actually personally believe. And you try to shame them into believing something different.
1: You know, part of what is at hand with the Kanye thing, I think, is the negativity or the shade that he has shown President Obama, right? You're a Chicago guy. Um, One of the comments that he made was the president was, uh, when I say the president, uh, Barack Obama president for eight years, nothing changed in Chicago. We've seen the unbelievable violence and gun violence and crime right there. So he's making a point Um, which is a personal point that he wants to make. I don't know why it should carry such enormous problems for everybody. It's demonstrably true.
0: Well, remember, Barack Obama called Kanye West an asshole. Or a jackass. A jackass, something like that. Called him, and John Favreau just tweeted out that Kanye West is an asshole. So, um, you know, there is a a real thing there, uh, and I think that West is certainly right to say that the statistics weren't that great for the African-American community throughout the most of President Obama's tenure, and they've markedly improved during the Trump administration. So you can say that you can make the case there. Um, I think that John's point is, is really interesting, which is uh, if you come out in favor, if you're a, any kind of celebrity and you come out in favor of President Trump, you have to be ready for a backlash. Right. You know, Roseanne Barr came out and said she she's actually doing a – a whole TV series that's pro-Trump, and you know, they had huge ratings at the first. There's a little bit of a backlash that she's facing. Um, but I've watched the show, by the way. I yeah. like it. Oh, well, there you go. I have not watched the show. Uh, I tend to just watch the Golf Channel. Um, but I will say that, uh, John, uh, talking about the culture and uh, Donald Trump's view that you need to kind of capture the culture to get on um, and have these cultural touchstones to have an influence. It's not just about policy. It's also about culture. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about how the, the Trump philosophy and, and, and why Kanye West could be important on this whole thing.
2: Well, I think part of this is a, is a game and, and Kanye know, I think Kanye knows exactly what he's doing. And in this in this era of ratings and um, how many followers you have, and this actually could in, in the end be a net positive for Kanye. Who knows? But I also think it's interesting to see how celebrities react to what you're saying, this right. backlash. Right. Uh, some are just comfortable with it, and they'll just – they say, well, we're going to write it, and we're going to see where it goes, and hey, more attention is good attention. Then there are others. Uh, I, I was just reading this, this piece, and you guys probably saw it too, on – Uh, Shania Twain. So she said, "Had I been in in this in the country at the time, I would have voted for uh, Donald Trump." Well, the backlash was severe. In fact, this columnist from uh, the Miami Herald, who got some some play on this, said, "Basically, people who support Trump have nothing to say to me, or me to them." I mean, that was his conclusion in 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 um, in taking down Shania Twain for for saying what she did. Like, how could she possibly say something? Like that, right? right? I mean, it was a complete moral condemnation of a very popular country singer. And uh, Shania has really backed up. I mean, she apologized, actually, for, for what she said. Profound courage. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I You think may have
0: it, a way to stick up for yourself.
2: Right. Well, I mean, I, I think this just... She probably looked at it and said, not worth it. Not worth it. I, I don't want to lose fans. I don't want to lose followers. I don't want... That's, that's too hot for me. And Kanye West's... Uh, apparently his reaction is the opposite doubling down he sent out a tweet this morning right right
0: he did and i think that uh some rap stars are supporting kanye like common came out and said i I, I, I don't agree with what he says but i agree that he should be able to say it kim kardashian came out and in support of her of, of her hubby um so this is all i think it's all fascinating yep it takes courage to hold a dog on a podcast it takes courage to speak your mind it so. takes more courage to hold a dog in a podcast, and you know this dog Clark, dog, Clark Kent, has been spectacular. He hasn't said a word, but his his quiet presence has really elevated the whole conversation. It's it's, it's inspirational. <laughs> inspirational theory three: blue wave theory. Dysfunction at the presidential level. Republicans barely winning in a seat that they had won by twenty one points in Arizona, losing in Pennsylvania, losing in Alabama. Are the Republicans really doomed, or is the national media missing the real story? John Easton, are the Republicans
2: doomed? <laughs> I, I think we should all take a breath and, and put it in a proper context. That context is that this is a midterm election of a president's first term. Let's let's just, just stop right there for a second. And those are always difficult, no matter who – what party occupies the White House? Those right. are difficult. Just know times. your
1: history. Yeah,
2: and and so in that vein, I think that it is going to be difficult for the for Republicans to maintain control of the House. I I, I they definitely have a shot at it. I think it's going to be difficult. Uh, in the Senate, I think that it is going to be very difficult for Democrats to take the seats necessary to take the Senate.
0: So, uh, Adam Belmar. Um, You know, talking about presidential dysfunction, and I'm talking now more about um, what's happening at the cabinet level.
1: Um, If you or someone you know suffers from presidential dysfunction. (laughs) Sorry,
0: go ahead. Uh, Well, that's an excellent point. Um, So let's talk a little bit about Ronnie Jackson because this is the president says this guy should be my HUD secretary, VA Veterans Affairs secretary, and then he can't be. Oh.
1: Well, look, I, I personally know Admiral Ronnie Jackson. I served with him in the White House. I know him as a as a, uh, as a colleague. I considered him a friend. And uh, as a medical professional, he was looking out for me while we traveled to many, many foreign nations on missions for the president. Um, I just think he's a wonderful guy. I, I never, in my wildest dreams, nor he, I think, ever saw himself as Secretary of Veterans Affairs. I just personally... I'm saddened by uh, the political um, attacks that have, you know, put his entire career in jeopardy. But I also think the president was ill-advised to just without much thought um, nominate someone to such an important job. The, the Veterans Affairs uh, Cabinet post is, is a leadership role. It's not a management role. But both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, have come together to say we've got to fix this. And the former Secretary Shulkin was well-received. He was appointed by a Democrat, but people felt like things were moving forward there. They want to see progress. And John Easton can tell you, in the United States Senate, they take oversight of the Veterans Affairs uh, Department very seriously. And so this was not a joke. And it seems like the president toyed with the whole idea of the leadership of this Cabinet post in a way that just wasn't truly respectful of the senators, their job to give advice and consent. you know, Clark Kent and I are sad, but we're going to get over it.
0: Uh, Clark, Clark Kent. The way you worked the dog end. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty good. You know, VA means veterans. Uh, this is just a veteran of many battles. Clark He's Kent. been through so many battles. Yeah. and uh, He's found a home at You know, one of the things <laughs> that I would say to John Easton, um, President Trump is attacking John Tester, who is in a very blue, red state in uh, Montana, over his torpedoing of his... Uh, Really, his pick, uh, Ronnie Jackson. Um, do you think that this is going to hurt Tester?
2: No, I don't think it's going to hurt Tester. I think that's a very shallow uh, uh, choice of an attack on John. I think you can attack Senator Tester on a lot of things, the tax bill being number one. But this this isn't. And, and I, I think Adam's point's a very good one about uh, the Senate. Obviously, it takes its role of oversight very, very seriously. It takes its role in confirmation seriously. And, and I think. Look no further than Johnny Isaacson on this situation. He was he's the chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee, and he was trying to back channel the White House saying, guys, get this out of out of play because this has nowhere good is is, is going to come out of this. So I just I feel like uh, this was a bit of a disservice to Ronnie Jackson and and I and I think that I hate to say it, but it's it's a disservice to uh, veterans who rely on on the the veterans of administration to take care of their health care and their benefits. And now we're faced with uh, even longer and much longer time period without a leader at the helm of the Veterans Affairs Committee. You can point fingers, but these nominations, as Adam Belmar knows so well coming out of the White House, they have to be airtight. And, you know, I've kind of on the receiving end, uh, staffing in the Senate, these senators want to know that, the names that are that are being forwarded to them for consideration have been vetted thoroughly that there are going to be no surprises on the senators in confirmation hearings uh, walking down the hallway getting getting ambushed by reporters they want to know that the names that they're being forwarded are especially the 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 same party uh, are good ones that they can defend and on this one They couldn't defend this. There were too many allegations coming out.
0: So, John, um, all this is kind of a big Washington battle. Uh, Jobless claims are at their lowest level since 1968. It was just announced today. The trade deficit has gone down 25 percent, lowest level in like 10 years. Uh, What's more important, Washington's dysfunction or a growing economy? and a, an economy that's bursting through the seams, a fact that people are working in all kinds of different places. What, what's more important?
2: Well, I'll just uh, – there's not even a question. And I think Washington has displayed dysfunction for what? How, how long now? I mean it's, it's – as far back as we can really remember, it's been stated as being very di- a dysfunctional place and a, an unpopular place. But I think – and I, I know I've said this in, uh, with, on this podcast before, but I think it's really – Economy is, is going great, uh, you know. As long as people are feeling it, wages are going up, and there there are benefits to point to, economic benefits to point to for your you know the average working American. But I believe that that has to defeat the hump of of uh, Donald Trump's behavior.
1: Yeah, the the economy is everything, and all of the statistics you're pointing to are critically important. They will inform the voters' minds. But I also think it would be wrong to just say that the dysfunction isn't acknowledged. People see it. It is permeating uh, outside of Washington, D.C.'s news. And at the same time, we've had a little bit of good news this week that uh, the Secretary of State nominee, Mike Pompeo, got reported out favorably from the Foreign Relations Committee. All of this matters. The president needs to be able to keep all these balls in the air. But I do ultimately agree that uh, come election time, uh, it's, it's all about whether you're better off today than you were two or four years ago.
0: Let me, let me sum up by saying I think that uh, Washington dysfunction is a feature of Washington and has been for a while. I, I would say that the president, I think, is looking more and more presidential when he has these great events with the president of France who treats him like a human being, and then with the possibility of having real peace break out in North Korea. Um, and, you know, the fact that the president does have a point on the Iran deal, which was not, not that great of a deal, and, you know, the climate change thing, which was a disaster, uh, and when you have this economy growing so 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 strongly, that really help, helps make the case for Republicans. But Republicans have to understand that there is going to be, uh, as John pointed out, a huge backlash uh, because it's a midterm election, and the liberal progressive wing of this country are energized – and if you talk to any member of Congress, they know how energized they are. So if Republicans don't run their best campaigns, they're going to lose.
2: That's right. And I think if there is a silver lining uh, for Republicans as you look at the map, and I, and I want to talk about the Senate in, in particular, it's that there are really good candidates running. Yeah. And, and- – Like, for instance, if you got a guy like Joe Manchin in West Virginia, uh, former governor, I mean, he is a solid incumbent, right? And I think Adam was pointing this out before. I mean, you got to beat Joe Manchin with somebody. Now, you've got two very legitimate congressmen that are vying for the primary. I mean, this is just an example. Well,
0: one's a congressman. The other is the attorney general. The attorney
2: general. That's right. So – but – Statewide resumes, right? Legitimate, and and if you go down the 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 list of the, just the toss-up races, every one of them has uh, very credible Republicans on uh, running in in those races. <clears throat> so I, I think that that's a little bit of uh, uh, you know taking a grain of salt with this is that it's just uh, you can't can't overreact to these these headlines.
0: And one last point: the Nationals have had a really bad start, and so. We've got about six or seven months till we get to the World Series. The Nationals still could come back, and I, I think the same way about Republicans. They they you know we're still we're pretty far away from the actual World Series, and so we it's too early to predict. Adam Belmar, that's my point. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Adam, let's go to you. Uh, what are you buying or selling today?
1: Well, I am buying Boeing. Let me just say, I love as a. Public relations and communication strategists here in Washington to look closely at what other people are doing. Well, this week the Boeing Company is up with a new public affairs and uh, marketing campaign for a drone that is intended to fly off the uh, fly off of, of uh, aircraft carriers and refuel jets in midair. It's completely unmanned. And it's uh, just the coolest thing I ever saw. I didn't know anything about it. Obviously, the Pentagon does. They're looking at it. It looks like they're going to make some decisions about aerial refueling drones uh, later this year. I was so impressed at the way that they marketed this, the way that they're showing it off. Obviously, the people who really need to know how it works. But for the rest of us, I'm a proud American who thinks Boeing gets two thumbs up, and I'm looking to buy Boeing this week.
2: Wow. Jason. That was quite a buy. Uh, You're not buying the dog?
1: I kind of have the dog.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to sell first, and I'll do that quickly. The NFL draft. I I love football. I always have, always will. But I find a few things more boring than the NFL draft, in part because a lot of these guys aren't even going to make the team. Yeah, they may not even make the team, let alone uh, make the starting unit. Anyway, I I find it a bore. uh, But for those of you, it's starting starting today. Through Sunday, have fun. Um, it's going to be great. And But I am buying Sonos, which is the in-home wireless speaker system that talks to your uh, – your, your We m- have a couple m- here m- at the Music office. streaming service, yeah. Uh, the initial public offering is happening. Wow. Oh, this is a good tip. Yep. And and so this is kind of a real buy, like a real market buy. And I just uh, – this is some beautiful technology that I've been using now for probably six, seven years and – Bye, bye, bye. You know what's very interesting about Sonos?
1: John Easton turned me on to it. But they have uh, really, with both hands, grabbed onto Alexa and some of these talkback services that allow you now to integrate voice control over the Sonos speakers. It's very interesting, and they're very nimble. Yep.
0: I How much is a Sonos system? <laughs> Not cheap.
2: Depends what you want. Okay. Well, that's helpful.
0: Right. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to sell the White House Correspondents Dinner Weekend. This is where the annual gathering when all these so-called celebrities come into Washington and smooze with all the media and they have all these media parties and all these, you know, faux celebrities come and talk about how much they hate Donald Trump. A couple of years ago was how much they love Barack Obama. It has gotten so low and so unpopular that even President Trump is boycotting this weekend for the second year in a row. Um, listen, I think that there's a really important uh, place that that dinner plays uh, in, in providing scholarships and uh, helping with a foundation that's important. But the fact of the matter is that the celebrity cult of all this, all these parties, uh, are all, uh, over the top. And I think that there has to be a real big – what do you think about this, Clark Kent? I think, I think I would sell the weekend. It's about time they did something else. And Clark Kent, do you have a buy or sell?
1: Yeah, the, Clark is kind of like a, a fireball, and the two of us
0: together were very overheated at the point. Yeah, I saw that, yes. Um, so, uh, hey, thank you for joining uh, the Fury Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB. Clark Kent, thank you so much for participating. Uh, you didn't really add any any, any thoughts to this well, whole Well, he
2: process. whispered to, to he Adam. Whisper. I saw that Yeah. A
0: times. Uh, and this is This is awesome. Um, so uh, thank you, and please, if you like this podcast or you like our dog, please share away. Thank you. Yeah, baby.